Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Nick Scott at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Very good morning to you all. Lovely to see you uh, all here this morning. And thanks to our team who serve us so faithfully, don't they? Wonderful week after week from early in the morning. Thank you so much. Bit of a boom there, Phil. If you can uh, do anything about that, that'd be uh, fantastic. Well, let me add my welcome to that already extended as we just delve further this morning into this beautiful topic of, uh, of friendship with God. That's where we, we are and uh, where we're going over the next few weeks still to come and uh, looking at uh, intimacy, intimacy in our friendship with God and uh, a flow on then effect of intimacy in our relationships with one another. If you ask people, uh, well, in my experience, if I ask people what their favourite psalm is, generally the response will be the 23rd psalm. And uh, what is there not to like? The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. You've got green pastures. You've got still waters. You've got, uh, you know, restoration of your soul, goodness and mercy following you around, you know, wherever you go. Uh, in a wonderfully reassuring, not a creepy way, but it's a wonderful thing. Uh, beautiful psalm. If you ask me, though, what my favourite psalm is, I probably would say the 23rd, but a very close second in my case, and right up there, would be Psalm 139. And uh, I love this psalm. It's a psalm of deep intimacy with, uh, with God, and uh, it's our theme for this morning. And so we're going to ask Heather Gare to read that as we open. Thank you, Heather. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise... You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, And the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. 
Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Thanks, Heather. Beautiful psalm. Beautiful. Well, many years ago, I visited a friend of mine in Jakarta, a guy who was uh, teaching over there and he was living in an expat compound. And it was my first real introduction into a culture in which um, having paid servants was just a normal part of uh, that culture, a normal part of life. Some of you perhaps come from a culture where that's the case. And so uh, this friend of mine, he had, a, he had a paid housemaid and a paid driver. I think someone else who came in and uh, prepared meals. There was plenty of help around the place. And it was all very foreign to me. And um, to be honest, I was just a little bit uncomfortable with the whole concept of paid servants. Uh, and so I just struggled with it culturally. It just hadn't been part of my experience. And, um, and probably sensing my discomfort, uh, my friend was very quick to assure me that these folk were very well looked after. You know, they were well paid, they were well treated, and uh, in most, if not every case, were just delighted to have a job where someone would pay them. And I'm sure all that was true, uh, but what was also true was that they were treated very differently to me as I spent some time in that household as a guest. Uh, let me illustrate. My friend said things to me that um, he would never have said to the hired staff. He said to me, Nick, while you're staying here for these few days, I want you to make yourself completely at home. And so feel free to just kick your shoes off and uh, you know, put your feet up on the uh, coffee table and uh, help yourself out of the fridge if there's any you want or just want to come to the kitchen, make yourself a cup of tea or coffee. Uh, just come on and do that. You don't have to ask. And when it comes to meal times, uh, there's a seat for you here at the dining table with my family. We'd love you to just eat with us and share with us as a family. And then uh, when you're ready for bed, let me just quickly take you upstairs and here's your room, here's your bed, here's your towel, here's uh, your bathroom for you to use. Welcome to our home. What's ours is yours. Uh, it was wonderful hospitality, beautiful, and uh, I was being welcomed, I could tell, as, uh, as a friend, as friendship was extended to me. Uh, on the other hand, and you might say quite rightly, the servants were, or the, the, the staff, the paid staff, were treated differently, so they were kind of on the outer. The guy who was the driver was always out at the car, out in the heat of the day, uh, just waiting, just ready to come and drive us wherever you needed to go. And there were sort of separate, very basic quarters for the housekeeper. They weren't abused or mistreated, uh, but they were treated differently. And Jesus says in John 15, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. As you come to God in faith, 
and repentance. There's this extraordinary truth that Jesus, the King of all kings, invites you into a relationship of intimate friendship, as though he is saying, come into my home, come into the lounge and put your feet up on the coffee table, make yourself at home, welcome, and come and sit at my table, let's eat together, let's have a drink, let's chat, there's a place set for you. A couple of weeks ago, Margie and I had some close friends around for a meal at our place, a married couple. And uh, as we sat down in the living room, uh, I noticed that she instinctively kicked off her shoes and curled up her feet on our couch. And uh, I remember at the time noticing that and thinking, actually, I love that. I love these people. And I love that there's that freedom that she feels without even asking. Uh, And so she should feel that freedom. Why? Because we're friends and we've got a friendship that goes back many, many years. So I love that. I love that she just feels right at home in that context. Well, Jesus invites us into that kind of deeper level of friendship. In fact, far deeper than that, a relationship where we are totally at ease in his presence. Are you totally at ease in the presence of God? Do you feel at home? Do you feel relaxed? Do you know that the Lord wants you to be his friend? Well, this morning I'm going to just draw out three truths about uh, godly intimacy from this psalm. And, uh, and each truth relates to the intimate nature of our friendship, our relationship with God. But each truth also has implications for the intimacy, intimacy that we share with one another in friendship. And uh, as Simon defined friendship a couple of weeks ago, he reminded us that actually friendship is uh, like an overarching theme over all of our relationships not only with God in the highest form but also in our marriage our marriage is a form of friendship in our family we have family relationships think of them this morning as friendships as we talk about this intimacy and with friends that we might consider friends close friends there's an intimacy that we share so number one godly intimacy let me suggest to you first of all keeps no secrets There it is, Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And uh, to me, that's quite a good summary of the the heart of this first larger section of Psalm 139, those first 18 verses, which in summary say things like, Lord, you've searched me. You know me. You know my comings and my goings. You know my thoughts. There's nowhere I can go to run from you or to hide from you. You know me, Lord, inside and out. You know my heart. You know my fears. You know my failings. You know my shortcomings. You know my insecurities. You know my secrets. There's nothing about me that you don't know. There's nothing that I can keep secret from you. My secrets that I may have in my life and in my other relationships, they're not secret to you, Lord. You know me. You know the games I play to present a respectable facade to others in order to hide the ugly truth of what I know I'm really like. And so, Lord, in my relationship with you, uh, there's no point in me trying to hide anything from you because the truth is you see it all, you know it all. We can have no secrets from God. I hope that's a clear message from Psalm 139. Now, that's a terrifying thought for some people. In fact, It should be something of a wake-up call for all of us, this idea that everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
And so we often understand from that that the day will come, which is a true statement, when we will stand before the Lord, you will stand before the Lord, and you will be required to give a full account of your life, everything about your life. Give an account to the Lord about that. What many of us fail to understand is that that day is today. That day is today, that day is every day. And what I mean is that today, Jesus, the King of all kings, says to all of those who come with hearts of genuine faith and repentance, he says to us, I no longer call you servants, now I call you my friends. The Lord himself therefore invites us into a relationship of total intimacy where he already knows everything about you. He invites you into the kind of friendship where you go deeper and talk about the things that really matter with him. And what I'm saying is, don't wait for the last day to give a full account of your life to God. Start that today in your everyday relationship with the Lord, who will one day ask you to give a full account. We'll start now. Give him a full account today in that relationship of trust and intimate friendship with the Lord. See, when we understand that not only is everything in our lives laid bare before the Lord, but also he loves us and he wants to befriend us. He knows. He knows everything about you. And knowing everything about you, he loves you and accepts you. Wants to do something about that with you. But he loves you and wants to be in a friendship with you. That's wonderfully freeing. Secrets are exhausting. Constantly covering your tracks, hoping no one's going to find out what you're up to. How stressful. What a stressful way to live. Secret online chats, secret rendezvous, secret bank accounts with secret spending that your spouse doesn't know about. Having to constantly delete your search history because of websites you've been exploring when no one else is around. Secrets. Well... The Lord knows all of that. He sees all of that. And he loves you. And because he loves you, he wants more from you than that. And he wants more for you than that. And the Lord understands that a secret life, a life of deception, a life of duplicity, will prevent you from entering into a full experience of intimacy with God and with others. Stated very simply, secrecy blocks intimacy. Secrecy blocks intimacy. It's a destructive force to relationships. The urge to hide is a consequence of sin, and of course we know it goes right back to the garden, doesn't it? Where in Genesis 3.10, Adam says, I heard you in the garden, Lord, and I was afraid, and so I hid. I hid. People have been hiding ever since. And in our day, let me suggest the most powerful tool in the hands of the enemy is pornography. Globally, it's the scourge of our society and of our world and a destructive force in every way. What it does is it takes the beautiful gift of sexual intimacy in marriage and turns it into a non-relational pleasure experience that was never intended by the Creator. Not only does it objectify women and men and even children in its most horrific forms, but it separates sex from relationship and thereby destroys intimacy. I was um, in Sydney a week or two ago and I spent some time with a friend of mine, Letitia Shelton, who uh, now 
is in demand in a remarkable way, this, uh, this young woman. She's in demand around the world uh, to speak into this space. And uh, she shared with me that she was recently in Fiji, which um, according to statistics is about 65% Christian, like very, a very strongly Christian nation. And yet as a nation, uh, it's a nation with huge problems in areas of domestic violence and sexual assault and rape, hard to reconcile those things with the whole thing of being such a strongly Christian country. At the heart of all of those problems, of course, is a massive uh, addiction to pornography issue right across the nation. And so in Fiji, she shared with me some research was done around uh, what are the most popular times to view pornography, and uh, an interesting discovery was made, and the discovery was this, that the time of the week where pornography is viewed more than any other time is a Sunday morning. You think, oh, what's going on there? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. You see, on Sunday morning, the women go to church, often the men stay home, and for the one time in the week in a a small home with not much privacy, these men can indulge in secret behaviour. Well, at the pie night on Thursday night, just gone, we learnt that uh, pornography is now the topic of 20% of all searches on mobile devices. 20% of all searches. One in five. And an estimated 64% of Christian men say they view pornography at least once a month. They're the ones who admit to it, those 64%. How many more? How, How much higher is that figure in reality? I would suggest far higher. And so... Uh, In Old Testament terms, we would say that there's sin inside the tent. Remember the story of Achan, Joshua, I think it's Joshua 7, the sin of Achan, where sin came inside the tent. Sin came into the camp. And the same is true here with this whole issue. It's not just out there in the community, it is out there. It's also in here, in the tent. It's also in here. And so where there is sin in the camp, Repentance is needed and a change of heart is needed and a change of behaviour is needed. And thanks be to God, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, neither should there be hypocrisy, by the way, where we hear about these things and sort of waggle our finger at the community around us and say, you're all so terrible. Sin has come into the tent, into the camp, into the heart. God sees all that you do, everything is laid bare, but because he loves you, he wants more for you, and so it grieves his heart when our sinful behaviour blocks the intimacy that we've been created for. When we introduce sin into our hearts and into our lives, it blocks that intimacy with God. When we introduce sin into our heart and our lives, especially this kind of sin, it blocks the intimacy that God has planned and purposed and desires for us to have in our marriages. It pushes people into areas of isolation and actually blocks even friendships with other people. Because I know what I'm doing and why would anyone want to be a friend of mine if only they knew what was in my heart? Letitia uh, shared with me a a radio spot, what they've done in uh, Toowoomba where she lives is uh, made a declaration along with the mayor of the city and a number of other councillors have come together and said, we declare that our city is a city free from pornography. 
Uh, now, they're not naive, not stupid. They know that pornography, uh, in all likelihood, will always be a part of society. But there's a declaration that says we don't, we don't accept this as okay. If you read stuff online, in many cases, you'll discover that uh, some parts of society would say this is a fine thing. What's wrong with it? Just a bit of harmless fun. It's not, it's not hurting anyone. Well, let's have a listen to this little radio spot. You could say a lot of things about pornography. You could say, it's just a bit of harmless fun. You could say, it's not hurting anyone. You could tell yourself, it's no one's business what you watch. And you could argue, no one else gets hurt. You could say a lot of things about pornography. But you can't say you'd want your daughter in it. And that says it all. If you're watching porn, you are watching someone's daughter. To get the facts about the harms of pornography, go to www.cityfree.org.au. See, the impact of that little spot is that it takes something that's inherently impersonal and objectifying and uh, bang, just brings it into a personal relationship of family. And it's a reminder to all of us, when we watch those things, we're watching somebody else's daughter, somebody's sister, somebody's loved one, somebody created in the very image of God. Let me encourage you uh, to have a close look at that website, cityfree.org.au, I think it was. You've got it on your app there if, uh, if you've got our app. It's a fascinating website with all sorts of very interesting and educational information, things like the truth that 10% of porn users are under the age of 10 years of age. 10%. And the age of 11 is the average age of exposure. So if you've got 9, 10, 11-year-old children, even younger than that, listen up and be prayerful and be aware of the damage of these things. Well, that's a very long first point, and... um, you're all very quiet. <laughs> Hope you haven't gone to sleep. Let me rush through points two and three a little more quickly. Number two is that godly intimacy allows the safe expression of anger. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a Bible highlighter, and uh, I love to highlight all the bits that I like, verses that encourage me and speak to me. And so when it comes to passages like Psalm 139, I pretty much uh, highlighted the entire psalm. not sure how helpful that is. Um, almost the entire psalm, until you get to verses 19 to 22, which say, if only you would slay the wicked. Uh, I haven't highlighted that one. And I'm not so fond of uh, a verse like that, probably partly because it's not part of my own prayer life. I don't often pray, Lord, I just want to ask you to slay some people. Uh, Would you mind just slaying some uh, people around me? That'd be a great thing. Uh, I don't pray that way. And so I don't highlight that. But you know, when you read the Psalms, what you discover is that the psalmists didn't hesitate to demand God's justice and make quite graphic and violent suggestions to the Lord as to how he might carry out that justice. Look at these verses, Psalm 140. Uh, May a burnt Lord, please, may burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire, into miry pits, never to rise. Uh, Psalm 109, let me tell you, uh, I haven't highlighted any of Psalm 109. 
It's completely unhighlighted because it's just this angry litany of uh, you know, horrendous things that the psalmist is praying like this. May his children be wandering beggars. Ever pray that uh, over somebody else's life? <laughs> May they be driven from their ruined homes. Uh, these are prayers uh, to do with the enemies of God. Goodness, I, I mean, I read that and I think, oh, that's a bit rough. Um, and so I haven't highlighted it. But, you know, uh, my own personal confession would be that I'm actually not very good at anger. I'm not very good at expressing it. I'm not very good at uh, being on the receiving end of it. And uh, let me say in our marriage, uh, neither Margie nor I are very angry people. Our lives are fairly even-tempered. Um, we, don't ever, we don't shout. Like, I mean, we don't ever shout at each other. You might think, oh, that sounds a bit boring. Maybe it is. It's not a, it's not a boast. It's just a, an observation. This is not part of the way we are. We don't sulk. We don't do that thing where you, you know, we give one another the silent treatment for a few hours because we're you know, so angry. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be there in us. But if Maggie ever gets worked up and angry about something, which we do. I mean, you know, we do from time to time. But if she ever gets worked up and angry, uh, even for good reason, my tendency is to... Uh, shut her down because her expression of anger makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, some of you might have a similar sort of experience and so I'll quickly jump in with something like, uh, well, uh, first of all, I think you just need to calm down a little bit. Uh, it seems like you're maybe overreacting here. Seem, you know, settle down. Uh, no, she's not here, it's all right. See, that's not very helpful. <laughs> this is what I've learned after 30 plus years of marriage. It's not helpful for me to say, oh, maybe you just need to calm down a little bit. That's not helpful. And I'm sure there's a whole lot of family of origin stuff in there for me, which there is for all of us. You know, we'll, we'll have this family of origin stuff that we carry with us, sometimes whether we like it or not. And so in my family of origin growing up, um, and again, it's not a boast, it's an observation, uh, I don't remember my parents ever arguing. They, like they never, I, I think, literally never shouted at one another. I never heard shouting in my home. And so, if anything, there was a bit of a repression of anger. If there ever was anger expressed in our family home growing up, um, there would be a shutting down of that. My, you know, typically my dad, I hope he's not listening on the podcast, he would say things like, oh, well, that's, that's enough of that now. Oh, so we're not allowed to be angry. It's sort of a part of that, that whole thing. Um, growing up it's not altogether helpful because you see godly intimacy allows the safe expression of anger the safe expression of anger hear that in a healthy marriage and so much better for me as I'm learning to do more if Maggie's angry about something uh, far better for me to say something more along the lines of uh, gee you sound very angry about that <laughs> It sounds like you're very angry with me. Uh, let me encourage you to uh, express that some more. <laughs> and so I need to grow in that area. You know, we all have areas we need to grow. Well, that's a, a key one for me. And of course, we'd all agree, I hope, that there's no place for the expression of anger that leads to people feeling unsafe. God forbid that my wife feels unsafe in her own home because of my angry outbursts. What a horrendous thing. You know, Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. Interestingly, the Bible doesn't say don't be angry. 
It says, in your anger, do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, let any angry outbursts that you might have be short-lived and resolved quickly that intimacy might return. And what these slightly scary, uncomfortable, unhighlighted verses in my Bible uh, tell us is that actually it's okay for us to express our anger to God in prayer. In fact, that's perhaps one of the best things we can do with anger and perhaps that very expression of our anger to God who's able to deal with even uh, some outrageous prayers like this, these ones in, in Psalm 109, maybe we'll discover with the expression of that anger to God in prayer an increase in our intimacy, in our relationship with God. Number three, very quickly, because some of the team are returning. I'm just feeling under pressure. All right, godly intimacy. Number three, invites personal scrutiny. And those of you who've ever had any kind of serious health issue will be familiar with the experience of hearing a doctor say something like, there's a problem here, we're not really sure how bad it is, and so we need to go in and do some exploratory surgery. We can't tell what really is going on, so we need to book you in for some sort of a scan, an MRI or a CT scan, to discover the realities of what's going on. So in other words, the doctor can't tell just from looking at you or taking your temperature or your blood pressure or uh, just checking your vital signs, can't tell immediately all that's going on inside. They've got to go deeper to get to the real issues. And the, the spiritual version of that is best summed up in these verses at the end of Psalm 139, one of the most powerful prayers of Scripture. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lord, is there anything in my heart that actually is an offence to you? Is there stuff in there that shouldn't be there? Is there stuff in there that's damaging the intimacy of my relationship with you and my relationship with my wife or my husband or with my friends? See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's an invitation to the personal scrutiny of the Spirit of God, the one who knows it all anyway, but there's something significant, it would seem, about inviting it of the Lord, inviting that scrutiny, an invitation to the Lord to do a full spiritual body scan, to do exploratory surgery, invasive spiritual surgery, if necessary, to deal with the real issues of the heart. Think of David's prayer in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. This one's rubbish. This one's gone to the dogs. I need a whole new clean heart, Lord. Would you create in me a clean heart? That's serious spiritual open heart surgery. And even in our human relationships, personal scrutiny, let me tell you from experience, is freeing. Such scrutiny must be invited, not demanded. That's very important. Don't go home and say, I demand that actually you just share everything with me. You can't do that. You've got to offer it. And it should also be invited with some discretion and wisdom. You know, you're unwise, of course, to bear your heart and soul to anyone and everyone. But again, in my marriage, uh, if Margie wants to take a look at my phone any time, to look through my search history, to discover that I haven't actually uh, deleted my entire search history every three hours but it's there actually for, the, for her to see, not for everyone to see, then she's welcome to do that. She can look at my call history. She can look at my texting history. That's just fine with me. Interestingly, she never asks to do that. She trusts me. 
But if she did ask, that would be fine because godly intimacy keeps no secrets. And as for me, I want to pursue a godly intimacy in my marriage. If you're in an MP3 accountability group or an accountability group of any kind, um, you might develop the kind of trust together that allows that kind of open phone access, that level of trust, that level of godly intimacy. There's a uh, website called Covenant Eyes someone spoke to me about between services where you, uh, you can get a, a weekly report sent to a trusted friend that gives them a summary of your entire Google search history for the week. I've never done that. Um, I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> but it's uh, a valuable tool. God invites us into friendship with himself, a relationship of intimacy where love and grace abound. He knows us intimately, he loves us, and he wants to take us by the hand, and he wants us to lead, he wants to lead us in the way everlasting for our own good, our own health, our own spiritual health, our own shalom and well-being. Let's pray, let me lead you in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you accept us as we are, that you love us as we are, but Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us as we are. You come to us to help us. We thank you that through the cross, you've dealt with our sin, that you've made a way for us to live by your spirit. And Lord, that on that cross of Calvary, every burden has been defeated, every wretched heart redeemed. Lord, that your forgiveness flows freely to those who come to you in true faith and repentance. We thank you, Lord, that you've reached out to us in our brokenness, and that you no longer call us servants but friends. So, Lord, take us deeper into yourself, we pray, and teach us how we might go deeper with one another and with you in the intimacy that we share in prayer, in our marriages, families, and friendships of all kinds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.